0: Hello, and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is leading a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Jack, and at this week's Roundtable, Kanisha, Madeline, Maya, and I spoke with Drostri Bombat, Participatory Budgeting Project Management Director at the NYC City Civic Engagement Commission. We were fortunate to have to discuss the people's money and its goals for bringing New York City one step closer and having everyone's voices heard in the government on the very day the campaign launched. The people's money is NYC's first participatory budgeting process through which New Yorkers across the five boroughs will have an opportunity to vote on how five million of the city's budget money should be spent on ideas in their communities. Drashtu recognizes that people's experiences with government in the countries they've immigrated from colors the way in which they look at government. As a city of immigrants, she believes that people's money have the potential to influence their initial outlook on New York City government for the good. The power that comes with having a database of ideas created by and funded by New York is truly inspirational and can be what is needed to instill long-lasting change in our city. The People's Money campaign launched on May 10th, and so far, people are really enjoying the concept of having the economic power to bring about growth and change in their communities. Looking ahead into the future, we would love to see more funding devoted to the People's Money in order to ensure that all the prevalent issues in our city don't go unnoticed and are addressed. One of the best things about the people's money is that anyone age 11 or older of any immigration status can participate and get involved in democracy in New York City. As such, there's a path for the engagement of people who aren't traditionally seen or heard when it comes to voting and civic participation, which is really exciting. Needless to say, young people are a vital target in this campaign, and we're excited to engage as many young people as we can between now and when the campaign closes on June 25th please be sure to vote and encourage everyone you know to do the same at on.nyc.gov forward slash pb. Again, that's on.nyc.gov forward slash pb. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hi everybody, my name's Jack. I go to high school in Manhattan. I'm a senior, I actually just had my last class day. So, end of an era. I've been with NextGen for three years now. I did a civic action project where we sent Um, freedom of expression surveys into both public and private high schools in New York City to gauge where freedom of speech is, and then wrote some blog posts on that. And since then, I've been working on the podcast and have loved getting to have really interesting and meaningful conversations every week with our guests. I'm super interested in participatory budgeting, both as a citizen, and then also as someone who's, who is interacting a lot with the machinery of government, um, I volunteer at port authority, welcoming people who have been busted up from Texas from the southern border, um, and so there's a lot of government service and you know sort of NGOs and public-private partnerships going on there, and so it's very interesting to me to understand how any of this money is being allocated. I didn't know about the people's money and I was really excited to learn what's going on and how participatory budgeting is important and how it works. Um, So today I'd be really excited to talk more about what the distinct phases are, why they're structured the way we have, and then where the project is right now and what's happening with it.
1: Hi, my name is Kanisha and I'm a high school senior from Queens, New York. And in addition to being on the podcast, I'm also a facilitator at WIVO. And today, I'm really excited to talk about participatory budgeting. Being with YVote for a few years, we did the "It's Your Money" participatory budgeting, where we were able to like submit proposals from throughout the city and have other people vote on them. So I have a little bit of exposure to what participatory budgeting looks like. But I'm really excited for what's going on this year because, you know, just from what I know earlier and what we've talked about in YVote, it's on a much larger scale this year. There's so many borough-based and community-specific projects and I just like love the opportunity for any young people especially in such a unique circumstance regardless of like immigration status or anything like that being able to vote so I'm just really excited to discuss you know a little bit more about what participatory budgeting is going to look like and its implications for the future of civic engagement in New York.
2: Hello, my name is Maya, and I'm a senior in high school from Iowa City, Iowa. Um, this is my first full school year being on the NextGen team, but in addition to the podcast, I'm also involved in civic engagement in my area through things like the Iowa Youth Congress. I was reading about the participatory budget plan and thought it was really cool, and I'm very excited to hear about like this method of building public trust and involvement in the government. Um, And yeah, like Kanisha said, I thought it was really interesting how many demographics you plan to incorporate into this. Um, So I would really be interested in hearing about how you kind of came up with this plan and like why you chose to make the decisions that you did.
3: Great. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful hearing all three of you chat a little bit about um, your experience with participatory budgeting thus far. My name is Josh D. Brambat. I use she, her pronouns. I work at the New York City Civic Engagement Commission as the director of the Citywide Participatory Budgeting Program, and I'm really excited to dig into all of these questions with you all. But over to Jillian. Hi, everybody. I'm Jillian Youngblood, and I'm the Executive Director of Civic Genius, which is a national nonpartisan civic engagement organization. Also really, really psyched to hear how excited everybody is about participatory budgeting, which I think is one of The only real deliberative processes that we see in the U.S. that has really gotten some traction and at Civic Genius, I'm really interested in expanding opportunities for people to come together from across the ideological and political spectrum to deliberate on all kinds of things. So I think it's really exciting that participatory budgeting can kind of be a blueprint for doing that.
0: Um, I'd be excited if you could expound a little more. Could you tell us what is participatory budgeting? How has it been implemented in New York? Could you talk about the nonprofit you're involved in and how that ties into all of this?
3: I can take a first stab at explaining a little bit more about participatory budgeting, but then, um, Jillian, I'd love to, to hear your thoughts as well. Participatory budgeting, most people may not know, but has been in New York City since 2011 but let me actually back up for some of the listeners on the podcast. Participatory budgeting is a bit of a long word, so I might just say PB from now on. PB was originally from Brazil, Porto Alegre, Brazil in 1989. It was created as an anti-poverty intervention to have public members decide how to spend part of a public budget, but it's a global phenomenon. It's been implemented over 11,000 times in places all over the world. And I'm not just talking about cities, states, and countries, but also other types of institutions like schools and faith institutions. Essentially, it's wherever you have um, some sort of public budget and people to help you decide on how to spend some of it. It's definitely part of a movement to shift Power into the people's hands. Obviously, in everyday life, not everyone has a lot of time to make big decisions, and that's probably why we elect people to represent us and fight for the issues we care about. But of course, there is a growing movement for people to directly decide that as well, at least parts of it. And that's kind of where participatory budgeting comes into play that part of a public budget, you yourself can pitch different ideas you might have based on the types of issues and needs you see in your community and the folks who who, who are walking their community every day going by it are people who really know uh, what it needs. So in New York City in 2011, four council members brought the concept um, to the city and specifically they created a, a large program where every year city council members can opt into the process of allocating a part of their discretionary funding. So discretionary funding is where council members have a pool of $5 million and get to decide how to spend it in their neighborhood. But the council members who participate in this, they allocate usually a million dollars of it, and it's typically capital funding, so things that can be used for capital projects that require infrastructure, types of projects like school renovations, etc. And they have their constituents, through a year-long process, decide how to spend that million dollars. But in in around 2018, a lot of advocates got together and kind of were pushing for a larger citywide process. Because, of course, you might live in a council district in which your council member is not participating. So advocates said, why not have a citywide process in addition to that? And so that's kind of how the Civic Engagement Commission came about in 2018 through a ballot measure. So when voters went in November to elect their representatives on the back of that ballot were different types of measures, one of them to create the Civic Engagement Commission and have us tasked with running a citywide participatory budgeting program using the city's expense budget. So it's a different line of funding that this is. And it's awesome because now we have two processes in New York City that run PB. Everyone participates in the city one, citywide one. And if you live in a council district in which your council member's also doing it, you get another opportunity to vote to how to spend their funding.
1: Yeah, I think that was a great overview. Thank you so much for that. So I wanted to ask a little bit more specifically about what the process of like the project creation and idea development kind of looked like this year for participatory budgeting, because I think Something that participatory budgeting really helps facilitate is putting your finger on the pulse of what people want. And I think in a city as big as New York, there can often be a disconnect between like council members and the people actually living somewhere. I know in other places, everyone knows their mayor. But for New York, no one really does. You know, we don't get to like see him walking down the street very often or talk to him on a somewhat regular basis. So I think like New York's local government is so particular in that it's so much larger than a lot of other local governments. So I just wanted to know a bit more about how were these projects devised and created before they got to the voting stage, which you're at now?
3: That's a great question, Kanisha So in a participatory budgeting process, usually there are four phases. Um, there could be variations depending on, you know, where you're implementing it, but typically there's four. The first one, as you mentioned, is idea generation, the collection of ideas from the public. It moves on to phase two to narrow down those ideas. So it goes to the project vetting phase. After that, it goes to the voting phase where you've selected the top ideas. Now you wanna bring it all back out to the public again to pick the top ones out of the top ones. And then phase four, the last phase is of course, project implementation. So we kicked off the people's money, which is um, the citywide participatory budgeting program we run in September of 2022. September 14th to be exact, and we kicked it off with Idea Generation, and from September through November, we held 523 workshops across the city, mainly in person, but some virtual as well. And in these sessions, it it was so phenomenal because it's the first time in New York City this type of work was being done. There has not been a process in which these many sessions were held, and there was new interactive material at these sessions. So specifically, when we invited people to the workshop, it was typically almost two hours long. The first, there were different modules of the sections. The first module concentrated on just learning about the city budget. So playing a trivia game with everyone in the room to learn about how big is the expense budget in New York City? You know, if you had a guess how much of the city's budget is spent on arts and culture, if you had to guess how many languages are spoken in New York City. So just really getting acclimated with some data and statistics and and knowledge and cool facts of our city that most people sometimes take for granted or don't really realize um what things are, are are being done in our city after that and on each of the trivia cards on the back not only it was the answer but also a bit more explanation and a qr code to send people to learn more about that fact so for the language for example when we said you know, did you know that there are over 800 languages spoken in New York City? On the back, it linked to a larger article to talk more about, you know, why and what are those specific languages, etc. So the second module, we moved people into thinking about budget itself, like your priorities. We wanted to lead people through kind of a process of getting to an idea because you might not just say, hey, Jack, what's your idea for New York City, right? Tell me it right now. We have to kind of, you know, bring people into the room, get them warmed up, get them thinking a little bit about what they really care about. So that second module, we had these big budget posters that we posted on the room that showed the current allocation in each category so you know this is how much is spent on education in new york city this is how much is spent on public safety etc we passed out little dollar stickers to everyone we passed out 10 to everyone and we said go up to the poster and allocate your dollar bills to where you would want to see the budget spent towards so it was kind of the people's at budget allocation where would you reallocate it if it was up to you if you were the person creating the budget And at the end, we reflected on the group to say, oh, wow, people are really putting, you know, for example, more money in parks than is currently allocated or this or that. And we kind of had those discussions. The last part of the workshop was working on our project ideas. And so at that point, we gave everyone a worksheet and we gave people some time to pair up with someone, think about some expense project ideas they want to see in those bigger categories. So any program, service, or event that can be completed in a year. And it was so wonderful seeing people's ideas come together and them kind of share them out across the room, you know, people editing their ideas after they hear some others and then ultimately submitting them to us so we can submit them online online. And of course, if you didn't come to the workshop, you could always submit your idea online through our website, participate.newyorkcity.gov. And at the end of that, we got over 4,000 ideas submitted, which was really awesome. And it really acts as a repository of New Yorkers ideas, which is really powerful. Like intellectually, it's very powerful to have a database of ideas created by New Yorkers
0: the New York City budget, I think in total is something like $100 billion. And so 5 million is obviously like a very small slice of that. I would be interested to know on a couple levels. So like first, do you foresee participatory budgeting becoming a bigger part of the way that we do budget allocation in New York? And I actually, I was going to follow up, you know, do you have numbers or an idea about how widely recognized it is? And I'm actually going to ask you guys, did you do subway advertising? I like remember seeing something and I'm pretty confident it may have been that. So like, yes. that's another question I have is how has outreach been? Because I'm quite interested to know like, how did you get these people into the sessions? Cause I think that that's really important, especially for re- reaching marginalized communities. So I'd love to hear a sort of how you think broad community outreach is like, do you foresee a point where like I could go ask my mom and she would know what, what participatory budgeting is? And then second, do you think that there's room for lawmakers to be allocating by themselves or like in your ideal world, would New York be allocating its budget totally democratically through this process?
3: Those are really great questions. Um, I'll kind of divide them into two a little bit. One, I feel like you were getting at the question around equity, right? That participatory budgeting, sometimes a criticism of this type of process is that, oh no, government is creating another process in which only high information residents are receiving this info and are contributing their own ideas and are voting on their own ideas. And the most marginalized members of our community don't even hear about this, don't get involved, and the projects don't reflect that sentiment. That's a very, very valid concern. And that's one concern that we have really focused, hyper-focused on, because we wanted to create a process that was not only on paper inclusive, right, age 11 plus, regardless of immigration incarceration status, but in actuality, it demonstrates that. So what we did, at least for Idea Generation Sessions, we launched an open call last summer to all community groups in New York City. So not only nonprofits, but CUNY campuses, Department of Education, schools, community boards, et cetera, to apply to host a session. The Civic Engagement Commission for the Participatory Budgeting Team is not that big. We You know, five to eight people. Um, So we really wanted to utilize our platform and leverage to get the word out into our entire city. So we actually ended up working with 82 community-based partners to host those sessions. And we're really proud to host, you know, have partnered with wonderful organizations and CUNY campuses, including Baruch, including CUNY in the Heights. Um, Some Department of Education schools, community boards, as I mentioned, the New York Immigration Coalition, really big organizations that work with high priority populations of ours, including immigrants and uh, limited English proficient learners, young people, older adults, public housing residents. You know, we held idea generation sessions in various NYCHA developments across the city with our partner Fund for Public Housing which now goes by Public uh, Community Housing Fund. And so it was really amazing to work with the plethora of partners to get the word out. And the data, you know, we collected surveys from the Idea Generation Workshops to not only help us learn from the process because we're kind of learning as we go and changing and pivoting and iterating, Um, but also demographic data about who are at these workshops. And it was really amazing and really reflective of each borough that we got, you know, demographics closely matched up to the borough residents, which was really important to us. But that other point about equity, I mean, that is partially why we have, and I think someone else, I don't remember if it was Kanisha. Or Maya was mentioning this that, you know, how did we create this process of people are voting on borough ballots, but also these equity neighborhood ballots? Um, Part of the design question that we started with at the beginning was, you know, when we ran pilot processes last year, we were working with the 33 equity neighborhoods across the city, which are designated by the task force for racial inclusion and equity. These 33 neighborhoods made up 50% of the, the city's COVID cases during the height of the pandemic. So we decided we wanted to run a local process as well. So I live in Queens. If I'm voting on the Queens ballot for project ideas, the winning projects might not reach every single neighborhood in Queens, right? As you mentioned, Jack, the funding is 5 million. It's not 50 million where, you know, it can really reach almost every corner of the borough. So we wanted to make sure that equity neighborhoods in in each borough are guaranteed a local project that was determined by residents of that neighborhood, voted by them, and implemented for them. So that's why there's that additional layer. I guess the other question around the allocation at a whole, this this was a really key question that is coming um, because I was actually at the Borough of Manhattan Community College on on Monday presenting to political science class and someone asked me, you know, we we showed a chart that showed PB rates, participation rates by different cities and governments across the world and how much amount was allocated. Paris, for example, and this data might be a year or two old, but, you know, Paris has almost a billion dollar allocated towards PB, but has a 5% participation rate, whereas Helsinki has $8 million allocated towards PB, but has 8.10% participation rate. So sometimes the amount allocated doesn't guarantee that the higher amounts you put towards it, the higher participation rates but it doesn't not guarantee it either so it's just kind of an interesting trend that we're trying to figure out why and and I think some people are really excited just to participate no matter how small or big the money is but I agree with you that I would love to see far more funding devoted to the process it's good for the first year in the sense that you know it is the first year so it's good to have um a manageable sum so that we can just sense out how we're running this process. You know, we don't want to um, have so much money that we're like, Oh, how do we do this? Et cetera. But I think now that we're really learning and people are really enjoying the concept and, and the power, the community power that comes with it. I'd love to see in the coming years, a, a far greater portion of the city's budget allocated towards it.
1: Um, so I'm curious about more about your background and coming from having able to speak multiple languages and interning at the UN, how that's impacted um, your interest in public policy and the work that you do now. I'm interested in majoring in linguistics and I'm learning a couple of different languages and I'm kind of trying to see how that could fit into different career paths that lie with my interests. And I think it's very important with any work that I want to do to impact my community in a beneficial way. So I'm really interested in how you got from languages and international relations to public policy and participatory budgeting.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of a funny story. It's kind of all over the place. But for undergrad, I went to Brown University and I studied international relations. My experience towards different countries and diplomacy started pretty young. In high school, I studied abroad in Ankara, Turkey to learn Turkish and was really captivated by social movements in Turkey. And that kind of led me into studying international relations in, in college. And I really focused on Latin America, specifically Argentina and Chile, and you know, coming out of post-dictatorship and human rights movements, feminist movements, social justice movements, etc. And really wanted to pursue this large career in the United Nations to continue doing that work and linking social justice movements across the world and lessons from it. And I really, really loved it. But when I came back to New York City for graduate school, I was studying international relations, but pivoted in my second year to urban policy because I'm actually born and raised in New York City. I was born and raised in Queens. And it was just so wonderful coming back and learning about the city, I felt like it was a microcosm for the world. You know, I, I feel like the way I interacted with people in Queens, the world's borough, it really showed me that people's experiences with government, maybe from countries they've immigrated from, really influence and in color the ways in which they look at government on a local level. And so it was important for me to t- kind of take a step back and. Realize where could I have more impact and I felt like I could have more impact in New York City um, government and when I was reading a lot about participatory budgeting after um, some time in the campaign world it really spoke to me. Growing up in New York City, my parents had been undocumented for over 30 years and they never had an opportunity to have a say in in how government works for them or should work for them. So it was really powerful to see something, however small, right? I feel like citywide PB, it, it's still, it's, we're, you know, we're a little bit of the underdogs. Hopefully we're getting there soon sometime, but even the small processes in which Um, folks really feel like just because they don't have some sort of document that some government made up about them, that they can't participate in how their community's needs are met. So that was really powerful for me to come back. But just to answer that part of the question, I think having language skills is super, super important. And it's really amazing. I mean, all of our materials are translated into 12 additional languages across the city. And while getting at the vote, it's important to not only have those materials, but be able to translate, interpret on the fly as well with folks. And so whenever we have sessions, it's, it's useful for me to bring in my language skills in making sure someone feels comfortable in interacting with our program and materials as well. So I would definitely highly encourage you to continue pursuing your linguistics fashions.
2: This is kind of switching gears a little bit, but I was a little curious about like the political implications of a PB project. So like, I guess if you could just tell us, you know, what was the process of getting this plan like approved with politicians and then also like if you do want to expand the amount of money that is being involved in this project, like if you expect any pushback from politicians in that sense.
3: That's a great question, Maya. Um yeah, it's a it's an interesting one. I mean, the good thing about participatory budgeting is that it was voted by New Yorkers through a ballot measure. So it is in our uh, city's charter, which is our city's constitution, officially, right? So you, you can't undo citywide participatory budgeting in New York City unless it goes through another type of ballot measure where, like, we want to get rid of citywide PP. So the program is here to stay. But you're right. Every year, um, it is a political decision of how much funding, right, of this year's $5 million for the projects themselves. And of course, there's additional funding for our agency to be able to run the process and build community partnerships to, to get the word out is a decision made by the mayor, right? So I'm hoping that The results of this first year encourage the mayor to put more up to the process for sure. There aren't other elected officials necessarily who would be involved in making that decision. I think there are a lot of elected officials, you know, the public advocate Jumani Williams, um, the comptroller Brad Lander and also the mayor Eric Adams, who who really like participatory budgeting and championed it in their former offices. So when Shimani Williams and Brad Lander were city council members, they ran participatory budgeting for for their council districts. And when Mayor Eric Adams was the Brooklyn Borough President, he also ran participatory budgeting through that office. So there is you know passion there. I think it is just a decision that I hope advocates and everyone can encourage the mayor to put more funding through each year.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to ask a little bit about how participatory budgeting is going this year. I know it's obviously very early to tell because voting just opened today, but I just love to hear a little bit of your thoughts about what you hope is going to happen with the participatory budgeting. And I think especially when it comes to young people, like what do you think this process can do for young people that are looking to get involved in democracy and their city? And yeah, like how can it kind of pave a way forward, especially for the engagement of a lot of people who aren't traditional I guess seen or heard when it comes to more traditional processes like voting.
3: Yeah absolutely and you know participatory budgeting I mean my personal hopes of it are exactly that in that uh, my focuses are those folks age 11 and 18 right that don't really have other civic opportunities in the city to participate in beyond you know student government et cetera. but if you can't vote yet in elections, you might feel demoralized about how you can contribute to, to to decisions that are being made about you without you. And so I think that it's super important that young people are a pivotal part of our plan, which is why we're also super excited to partner with Why Vote on all of this um, for, for voting, and we're really excited for a lot of high schools like all of yours to be receiving ballots and and getting out the word. It's really awesome because you know I had gotten a call the other day from a fifth grade elementary school teacher um, saying, hi, hey, you know, did I get the right number? Um, some of our students submitted ideas in the fall, and we wanted to see if any of them made it onto the ballot and how we can vote. And so, you know, we sent her a ballot box, and ballots, and so we're really excited that people um, are hearing about it. And that's, I think, our biggest hope, to kind of make a mark in the city a little bit so that this thing called the people's money becomes part of our vocabulary as we move forward and be- becomes part of the culture of being a New Yorker. But yeah, I mean, we're we're really excited to be partnering with um, middle schools and high schools across the city. And we're trying to build those relationships out. Um, And, you know, there are a couple of CUNY campuses right now that are going to be having um, vote sites and voting days of action on their campus. But I think the main thing that we're working towards is building partnerships throughout the year. As I mentioned, in the fall, we worked with 82 community partners. In the voting phase, we're working with a similar number of partners. And these are folks who, are you know just trusting us and kind of going with the flow to figure out how we can pull this thing off in the first year? And we're really excited to work with them in the coming years to change the programming um, to incorporate creative aspects, their feedback. You know, oh, this font size needs to be bigger. These questions would be how about we create a version of the trivia card deck just for young people that relates more to what they care about? Um, So I think lessons is a big thing. And I think that the community partners that we're building and then the specific focuses we have on young people, on immigrants and language learners as well. And just for anyone listening, make sure you vote by June 25th on.newyorkcity.gov slash PB.
1: That's all for today with Next Generation Politics. I'm editor Vanessa Chen signing off. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org podcast for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded.